0: Howdy, y'all. You're listening to The Managing Up Show, a podcast about leading and managing in the world of technology. I'm your host, Brandon Hayes, and with me this week are Travis Weisgood. Howdy. And Nick Means. Hey,
1: everybody. So we were trying to figure out what to talk about tonight. As we sit here recording this, we're about a, a week out from Christmas, and we're all kind of feeling that end of, of year lull. We're all getting a little slow, a little tired, feeling a little low energy. You know, we feel that in our teams as well and we thought it might be interesting to have a discussion about sort of the seasonality of engineering teams. You know, the the rhythm that they go through when they're on pace, working hard, delivering to a deadline and when they're not, when you're hitting sort of this end of year lull and there's not a lot going on and you're kind of bridging the gap to the new year, you don't want to shut things down entirely, but you also want to give people a chance to rest. So We thought that might be a nice way to, as you're listening to this, probably start the new year off as you're trying to get your team motivated and moving for the new year, where to start. I think the interesting thing to talk about to start is probably what this time of year feels like, because I think it's sort of the same at every company.
0: Yeah. It seems almost worldwide, right? That every company I've been at either completely shuts down around the holidays or in all, but name only shuts down during the holidays. Because all the people that you depend on are shutting down for the holidays, there are a few there are a few places that I'm sure you know that their peak season is right during the holidays. But for nine tenths of people working in you know Western countries, this is it. Trying to get anybody to you know answer your support questions or you know suddenly you just work kind of grinds to a halt no matter what you do. So I, I think the, there is like literal seasonality to it in this, you know, holiday, winter, solstice season that people just kind of go like you feel it, right? It's in the air. I feel it myself that, boy, it's hard to muster that last bit of energy to push over the finish line of a year, knowing that you're you know, going to take a little bit of time off and kind of hopefully start fresh at the beginning of a new year. That definitely happens across teams, I have I have some like coping strategies that I use to to deal with this, but I'm more, I'm, I'm curious to see what you all do when, when you see this with your team that you can tell things like, I think it's just because it's what I'm feeling right now. I want to ask y'all for advice on when you see people, you know, the, the seasonality of work starts slowing down, you near the end of a project and your team is trying to inhale, like, what do you, what do you do with that?
1: I think step one is to acknowledge it. And to make sure that everybody on the team knows that it's okay right because we we sort of have especially in in the united states this work ethic that makes us feel a little bit guilty when we start slowing down and it's not necessarily healthy to feel that way and so one of the first things that i try to do is to make sure everybody in the team knows that number one i know that we're slowing down i see it too and number two that that's exactly what we should be doing this time of year that it's okay for us to get some rest
0: yeah. One thing I've been doing with my team this year is I've been more open than I've been in the past about just kind of feeling tired and a little run out that, you know, my enthusiasm isn't flagging. Like I'm excited and enthusiastic, but also my energy is like, I am, I don't have all the same energy that I had and it's time for, to, that, that means you can't use the same approach when your energy levels are at maximum as you might when your energy levels are, are taxed somewhat. And the nice thing about this seasonality is you get to kind of recognize, oh, we're all going through this together as a team right now versus, you know, that's some, that's not always going to be true. You're usually going to have a variety of energy levels on your team and some people are going to be burned out at the same time other people are super excited. and But this is kind of like it's kind of interesting because everybody's feeling the same thing at the same time. It's dark at four freaking o'clock, you know, like people are just noticing the same sort of energy dip at the same time. And it means the way that you deal with that would be a little different the kind of work that you might take on could be a little different. My close friend, Chris Freeman, talks about like, oh my God, just send me home then. Like, why are you making me come to work? (laughs) And I think that's a valid question. If you feel like you're having to sort of approach work so differently, why not just send everybody home?
1: I mean, I think it depends on what kind of work you're doing this time of year too. Like if it is just make work, then yeah, there probably isn't a lot of reason to to be around. But it's also the kind of, it's the time of year when there's not a lot of defined tasks, usually, at least in in a lot of the companies that I've been part of. And so it's a great chance to dig into some technical debt or some scratch, some technical itches that you may have wanted to scratch and just didn't fit into the, the quarter's plan for whatever reason.
0: Yeah. I like that answer a lot. Suddenly you can take charge of something.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Earlier, we were talking about a book that I enjoy, Shop Classes, Soulcraft, and it talks a lot about the like just spending time working with your hands. And to me, I found that there's like every project I've ever been a part of. There's always things that I want to work on that are rejuvenating when I get the chance to just go in and, and garden for a little bit. They may add some value. The value might just be that it makes it easier for the next things that come after it. I find what the, the, the times when I'm starting to flag and, and just need to rejuvenate, if I can sit down and just focus like, okay, what could I do to make this better? Like, I'm not going to focus on like creating value for customers necessarily, or business value isn't going to be the first thing that I think about when I sit down, but are there things that I could do, things that, that we as a team could be looking at that are going to make it just a little bit better the next time we're in a crunch and, and needing to focus on getting something out the door as quickly as possible.
0: The question that popped into my head while you were talking about that, like getting your hands on something that you might not get to otherwise, is like, what would you do if nobody was looking over your shoulder telling you you had to have something done by a certain date? And, you know, God bless Chris. I love him so much, but I'm guessing his answer would be I would go home (laughs) and it's like, okay, okay, fair (laughs) enough, fair enough. I don't necessarily love that, but I respect it. But I think for a lot of us, it's like there is so much stuff that feels like it deserves our attention at work that we would feel better about being able to handle if we could turn our attention to that. The problem actually is is the sort of paralysis of choice. When you get into these scenarios and you don't have, you know, you go from having this predefined backlog of, of work that you're being told is valuable to having to suddenly make decisions in your most fatigued state, mind you. You're in your most fatigued state and now you're suddenly like piled on decision making about what is valuable at that point too. And so there are probably some techniques you could use there to sort of reduce that.
2: I think GitHub has one hiding. In their issues, like they encourage projects um, and most open source projects use an easy first task or low hanging fruit or something of that along those lines as a label. And if you're really rigorous about either keeping notes for yourself personally or in a team issue board or Jira or something like that, and just tag those as I've been as, as explicit as having a, a label of board. like this is a good project for when I'm bored sometime and just need something that I need to come back and spend a little bit of time on. It's nothing critical. Nothing's going to fall through the cracks if this doesn't get done. But I've thought about it once or twice and wanted to make sure that it was something I had had captured.
1: Yeah, we kind of do the same thing. When we have something that reveals technical debt or we break down an area that we would like to improve about the application, some of that work gets prioritized, goes into the backlog, but the stuff that doesn't, Is always fair game for picking up anytime somebody's sort of in that situation where, okay, I'm bored, not really anything of of priority on the backlog, nothing really for me to do. So, yeah, I think that's a great suggestion.
0: Yeah, and there are entire categories, not just tasks within, you know, existing defined categories of work, but entire categories of work that don't get attention you mentioned technical debt earlier. I think documentation is one of them. And I was really impressed actually. So this week, a couple people, and I don't think this is like a normal annual thing. I think a couple of people just got like a bug them or something. And a couple people on the management team where I work decided, Hey, what if we did like a contest? It's the last week of the year. People's energy is really flagging and low. Let's do a competition or a contest of teams. And we're going to set out some, some rules for like the categories of stuff we're looking for, and it's going to be about documentation. This is a distributed team, and so documentation matters a lot because documentation is how people orient themselves to your team. Uh, it's how they understand how to, you know, do something like, hey, you're on call. What happens now? So run books, and so we have all of these doc- this documentation that doesn't get attention because it doesn't deliver direct value to a customer, but it's it's so important to the members of your team. So it's like, well, this is our space. This is where we live and this is how we communicate with each other. But instead of there being like a moral argument around, and it's like, here are five categories of documentation that we're going to judge this contest on and the criteria are pretty loosely defined. But I just loved this idea that it's made to be like a fun thing. It's a complete break from the norm. So it's not the same thing you do, but like gamified. It's like, hey, here's a thing. That let's, you know, let's all not kid ourselves. You're probably, it. we have a code freeze kind of a thing. So like, we're probably not shipping a lot of new stuff. What if we just focus on this for a while and then turn it literally into a game where, you know, and it's fun. I play into it a little bit like, oh man, well, we've got a game plan for this thing. Y'all other teams better step it up. And we're not doing this to beat them. Like we all win if we do it right. And I really love, I thought that was a really fantastic approach. I bet there are other things and I've seen other things done, but you know, the goal isn't to reinvigorate the team or anything. It's to go, Hey, what if we did something fun and really useful in this moment where people's energy isn't super high?
1: So I think a theme that that's emerging here is the idea that when you're in this state, when energy is flagging, one of the techniques that we've all cited variations of is to do something different, to change the rhythm of the team in some deliberate way that gives them something to do. That's not the same thing they do all the time. So it still gives them a break, but without completely shutting the company down.
2: Yeah. It's the concept of cross training. Like Nick, you're a runner. I play one sometimes and more of a cyclist and like, it's really important to make sure that you're spending some time in a, a loosely structured cross training, just to help make sure that the, the muscles aren't getting too specialized. And like, if you spend all of your time running and don't do any weightlifting or don't spend any time in the pool or on the bike, you're going to end up with injuries from overuse. And I think there's a lot to be learned about exercising our our brains as it pertains to work. Or if all we do is do the same type of work over and over and over again, we're going to, to have an overuse injury or what we call burnout. Like that's, that is what burnout is. It's an overuse injury for your brain. Um, And having those times where it's like, you know what, I'm going to go spend some time and I'm going to go fix our caching or I'm going to go work on documentation and and fix some things that I remember were wrong last time I was milling about in there. That can be a good kind of break from the rhythm that you get into where it's, okay, go grab a feature off the backlog, spend a few days on it, chip it, okay, repeat.
0: Yeah, burnout itself is like a very deep and complex topic that has a lot, you know, it's like a systemic set of causes, but I, I, one of them can be like that overuse that you're talking about. And there's a difference that I want to make sure that I'm highlighting because I always worry when I talk about burnout that people think I'm going to prescribe something for burnout because I did that once and I realized later, years later, that I was super wrong about the way that I I prescribed <laughs> doing something di- different as a uh, treatment for burnout. And and the stuff that I actually tried and thought was working actually didn't work and therapy was better. That I can recommend universally. But what I will say is that this is different in that it's sort of seasonal. You know, there's always going to be dips in energy and dips in uh, enthusiasm. And coming back to your original point, Nick, about acknowledgement, I think actually the epidemic is that this goes unacknowledged. That people feel like you're supposed to put on a show and people feel like you're supposed to feel a certain way about being at work. And so people put up this front. And then there's cognitive dissonance between how you feel and how you feel like you're supposed to present. And that is a direct contributor to burnout. Like cognitive dissonance is a known one. So I would say that acknowledgement, and like you were saying, Travis, the idea that doing something different, I, the, the image that came to my mind was tilling fields, that if you grow the same crop over and over again, mm-hmm. you actually wear the soil out. Yep. And and doing something different, even for a season, is like, oh, I'm good, I can I can hang. And one cool thing about this type of seasonal, my hope is that you have the ability to do this as a manager, that this sort of like seasonal, the way I've described this at work is like collapsing over the finish line of the year. Like, okay, we're all just sort of like stumbling across this year's finish line. And the other thing I, I, I wanna do, when well, it's a finish line. I hope we're celebrating that. We have completed something. Somebody should, like if you're going to stumble across a finish line, there better be somebody cheering for you on the other side. And I know that managers you're tired too, but this is a really great time to provide value. This is a great time to like, you know, to be the valuable by being that cheerleader and helping create an environment that cheers the team on as they, so like, Hey, let's retrospect about the stuff we accomplished this year. Let's, you know, like recognize who did, who stepped up and went above and beyond and it's not like, I don't think you have to necessarily make sure that time is productive. It just needs to, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It needs to deliver some kind of value, even if that value is making people feel good about what they accomplished that year. So there's lots of ways to to make use of that time and energy. I think it's a manager's time to, unfortunately, probably put in some elbow grease on this stuff, like coming up with these activities or off the beaten path things.
1: I think it's interesting that you used the word finish line to describe that because that's another context this comes up in often, right? We use the word sprint to describe our units of work sometimes. I don't like that term. I can tell by tr- the look on Travis's face, he doesn't like that term. We've actually made a deliberate shift to quit using that term on on some of my teams and use iteration instead very deliberately.
0: Yeah, we did that too.
1: But but the idea is that, you know, I mean, if if we really are sprinting, and sometimes we are, then we need to do what sprinters do once they cross the finish line. And what they don't do is keep running at the same pace. They acknowledge that they crossed the finish line. If they did well, they celebrate. They take some laps around the track walking and they get some rest and they probably don't run a race again for a few weeks to give their body some time to rest and heal.
0: Yeah. That break is really important. And I think we are really terrible about this as an industry, you know, like we, I've heard of so much criticism of this, like sprint to sprint to sprint thing. And You know, we talked about that over tilling the same ground, over planting in the same field. Boy, that's a real easy way to do that to your team is back to back sprints. I worked on a team once where the VP of product uh, came to me and said, I don't like that you have this one day gap in between sprints. And I'm like, well, that's not really any of your business. (laughs) Like, I didn't know what to say. Like, I didn't say those words, but I was like, interesting. Tell me more and they're like yeah you're losing a, a whole day that's 10% of our of our time and i'm like oh do you think that packing a person's schedule makes them that much more efficient like there's so much short sighted thinking in this industry around that about how people's energy gets used and we don't get treated like you know we treat our people worse than we treat farm animals in some cases that like, you wouldn't do that to a mule So just stepping back and, and recognizing the sort of the natural flow of it and opening the conversation for sometimes people have a lot of energy and sometimes they're tired. And it's really cool. If you can sync that across a whole team and say this team, like I remember I've joined a team before and multiple people on the team came to me to say, this team is really tired. And I'm like, oh, I better listen to that signal asking this team to buy back in and re-up a contract and and get engaged and get excited about something is probably asking too much right now. Maybe what they need is a break and a reset, essentially. And so, like, here we are at the end of a year. I am very fortunate that I get to pair this sort of finish line, celebration, break. I feel like the team that I'm on now is doing a really good job of this. Time will tell, but I feel good about it. Pair that with some time off. Most of the team is going to take the, you know, the better part of two weeks off and we're going to come back and people will be disoriented and discombobulated and they'll be like, wait, what was I doing again? And that's fine. I know that it's going to take us a minute to get our stuff together again. That's a knowing sacrifice that we make to acknowledge and be honest about the, the, basically the fact that we, if we had tried to push through, it would have been worse. That's not always appropriate, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's times you have to hit a deadline.
0: Yeah. Can you tell me about that? I think you have more recent, all of my deadline stuff. It's not paired with, it it was at startups where the deadlines were artificial. And so I want to hear this from somebody who's actually like both of you have more experience with deadlines that actually had meaning behind them. And so I want to hear how you do that with teams.
2: So I spent some time in the journalism world doing technology related things. And like when you're doing doing a project that that uh, relates to a physical event with speakers that are going to be on stages for a set period of time and your technology is a part of that like either it's a part of it the speech goes off and everything's great or it just doesn't matter that any of the work you did like it's it's completely irrelevant and the way we managed it this was for a company here in a nonprofit here in Austin around politics and policy and every other year we have a legislative session here so every other year it's just kind of a known deal that's part of the bargain like december and the first half of january are going to kind of suck <laughs> because the second week of january the session starts but the third week of of january was almost completely off i mean it was like one year we went over to to Leno and Blanco to go get some barbecue and and go to real ale brewery for the day as a team and it's just like look we we, we were working to meet these deadlines two weeks ago everything shipped <laughs> see ya <laughs> we'll have a hotspot and a laptop or two with us in case anything goes wrong but <laughs> otherwise we're gonna be gone for a little bit and, and that was just part of the deal but it that's was part of managing those expectations. It's like, yes, we're going to sprint to the line. Yes. The timing of it's going to kind of suck with everything else that's going on. But when it's done, we're going to have a little bit of a chance to catch our breath and just unwind for a bit. So very much like the, okay, we're going to go run some laps around the, the track and cool down.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's very much a governing metaphor for me. Also the, the idea that, you know, we've, we've run a race and we need to rest afterwards. I, I think a lot of, what you have to do in the run up to a deadline is manage the workload of the team. You know, I mean, for us, generally when we release stuff, it's, it's coordinated around press and announcements and publicity and publicity events. So these dates become pretty solid and they're things that we can't move. And it's difficult to rapidly flex the size of a team as well, because you're shifting around a lot of context when you do that. So the lever you have left is scope. For me, that's been the the most invaluable tool is as we're approaching one of these deadlines, if the team is working unsustainably or it becomes obvious that we're not going to deliver, then we need to have the hard conversation and figure out how to cut scope to keep that workload manageable. Because, you know, I mean, yeah, you can ask the team to go to heroic efforts and deliver something, but you break the team in the process and you're sacrificing the team for a long period of time after you hit that deadline. Whereas if you manage the workload and and you keep it, I mean probably a little bit higher than normal, but not unsustainably so, and with a light at the end of the tunnel, generally the team you can get some rest and it doesn't take that long to get back into a rhythm again.
2: Yeah, I think this is an area where athletic training really comes into play because when you're looking at your a race, yeah, in the lead up to that race, you're probably going to be a little bit more tired than you normally are. And this is where a manager can play that coach role and help everyone understand the difference between, yeah, this is hard. And it's something we need to push through to wait, I'm about to break. And the first few times you do that, you're not necessarily going to know. I saw that happen to my wife. She's a pro triathlete. And this last year going into some of her races, she was like, almost at the edge of breaking and she's messaging her like, Hey, this is how I feel today. Should I be doing this workout? He's like, yes. A couple of times he was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We need to take a day and reset. But most of the time it was like, yeah, your body is just not used to this yet. It'll get there. You're fine. Keep going. <laughs> and I think that's, that's where we can really help guide the team is helping them understand. Are, are you about to push into the danger zone where we're going to start having conversations about burnout or, is this something that that's? Are we in the healthy stretching?
0: Yeah. How how often, as an experienced manager, as an inexperienced manager, I never asked this question. And as an experienced manager, this is in my initial debugging toolkit. How long has it been since you've taken a vacation? It's just right at the you know the tip of your tongue when somebody's like, "Oh, and this is happening. This is happening." Like, hold 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 on, hold on. I don't even want to debug this problem. How long has it been since you've taken a vacation? And they're like, "It's been like nine months." And I'm like. Oh, okay, let's have that conversation first. We can have this one later. And I don't mean a long weekend. I mean how long since you've had a consecutive week off that
1: you have not gone anywhere yes. or done anything.
0: Yeah, I've taken a day off here and there, and I had a three-day weekend, four-day weekend. Like, no, no, no. That literally does not do the reset that you need. <laughs> it does not work. Yep. <sighs> yeah, it's funny. These are like – yeah, it, you, can, you can skip a lot of pain just by skipping straight to that question. Yeah. But I think the other thing that's important
1: to call out here is you also have to build the relationship with the folks on the team that they will come to you and tell you when they are starting to feel this, not when they are completely burnt out, fried to a crisp. Because it takes that open two-way dialogue for somebody to go, you know, I'm feeling a little bit tired. This, this feels a little hard to me. And then that gives you the chance as the manager to step into that coaching role and to have that conversation. But if they don't tell you till they're burnt out, there's not a lot you can do other than say, go on vacation.
0: Yeah, this is why it always baffles me when companies are like, or or managers are like, yeah, I have one on ones once a month. And it's like, whoa, 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 hold on! <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> how do you, how do you, how are you not only putting fires out? How are you catching people before they burn themselves out? How are you getting any of the early signals? How do you get any leading indicators? I don't know a better tool than one-on-ones for this right now. Maybe somebody will invent some that are, you know, asynchronous, and people click on buttons that, you know, like you walk out of the IKEA bathroom and it's like happy face, sad face button, and they just hit those. And if they hit the sad face button, you deliver them a PTO request form. I don't know, but I like one-on-ones for this.
1: Yeah, I think the thing about that advice, though, is you have to be careful how you build your one-on-ones and you have to have that employee guided time where they can be the one guiding the conversation and getting into subjects like this. You can ask some helpful and probing questions, but if you have the kind of one-on-one that's routinely just a status update, you're probably still not going to catch the early signal. So it's not it's not a panacea by itself. You have to do it the right way.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess there should be a qualifier on it for, you know, high quality, useful one-on-ones, which are more focused on, driven by the individual, focused on them, their time, not not a time for the manager to absorb context about projects and statuses and stuff like that. It's so tempting and easy to fall into, but it also is very easy to break that habit. Because one-on-ones are more fun when people are, you know, will open up about themselves and what they're happy with and what they would like to do differently or other stuff that's stressing them out in life that are mitigating factors. And you go, oh, wow, you don't have a lot of mental or emotional bandwidth right now. Like, let's not steer you to this trickier thing that's going to require a lot of mental and emotional bandwidth to handle. And and so, like, coming back to the conversation about seasonality is one thing that's really fun is, uh, so hearing you talk about how you how you help teams basically manage that the intensity of those periods of very deep work. And part of that is knowing that it's finite. Part of that is having a sense of like, okay, we're gonna cross this line. I think one of the worst things that I've done historically as a manager, and I'm definitely guilty of it, is promising people a light at the end of the tunnel, but not telling them when and where it is. Just giving them a vague picture of where the light at the end of the tunnel is and keep people kind of, like you can get more out of people if you will tell them there's a light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. But you can also, like there's an ethical question there of like, what if it's not really there or it's way further than they think and now you really have burned people. And so one of the nice things about this sort of like end of the year thing is, you know the end of the year is coming you can prepare for it. You can prepare for it as long in advance as you want to. Nobody's stopping you because it's coming whether you like it or not.
1: Yep. And, and one of your most precious resources as a manager is the trust of your team. And it is really easy to throw that away in exchange for a single deadline. And once you do that, good luck getting it back. I think we've probably all done that at some point in our career. And, and some of my most painful moments as a manager have been realizing that I've done that because it wasn't intentional. It's an easy trap to fall into. So I think another thing that's important in guiding a team through a period where they're having to, to sprint a little bit is making sure that there's still some agency in the process, making sure they, they still have some control over the work that they're doing and the process that they're being asked to follow to do that work. Because a team can perform at a pretty high level if they own the work and they own the process. But it's also pretty easy to to, to ruin morale in a hurry by imposing a company-wide process top-down that everybody hates and just fulfills the needs of management.
0: (laughs) And it's really easy to fall into that, yeah. Yeah, I've seen teams
2: collapse. Like, just watch the velocity when product managers change and all of a sudden it just like, it literally falls off of a cliff. And it's all about how the team was receiving the work and the type of work they were receiving.
1: Yep. I think we undervalue that a little bit, but, but yeah, I think, I think we've all seen that happen.
0: Yeah. Well, it's easy. It's easy to do like, Hey, we don't like how fast all of engineering is going, which is the start of so many conversations. We don't like the velocity of engineering. We think the engineering team should be going faster. And, and you're like, which part of the engineering team, the engineering team, we think they should be faster. Okay. Well, I'm a big shot executive managey person. I will put everyone through scrum training and then we will go faster. And that might actually work too. It might actually work. It probably, it won't because it's a top down, you know, initiative. It it almost certainly won't, but it might, but it might work for us. Yeah.
2: I can almost predict it. I I would, I would put money on my prediction skills, depending on who's in that meeting. If that executive who thought it was a great idea is there and taking notes and participating and excited and engaged, you know what? This actually has a better better than 50-50 chance. If they're not, I 100% guarantee it will not succeed if you look at it three months out. It will not yeah. have gotten what they expected but that's because that's that's entirely a top down i am going to i'll make them go faster not a how can i make us go
0: faster and and also there's the fundamental question of the usefulness of the question of whether going faster is the right answer it's like well, you're you're not happy with the quality or the quantity of value that's happening per t- unit of time That's an interesting question worth exploring and not something that it's so like the the question itself fundamentally kind of pins something on an engineering team on as a collection of individuals rather than, hey, can we crack this system open? And you know who's going to tell you why they can't go faster is the engineers. They're going to be like, do you know how long it's been since I've been able to validate what I'm doing in the staging server? Like, nobody nobody gives us time to fix our broken CI processes. Our Jenkins config is a, you know, is a tangled mess. So it's stuff like that where where the, the all of this back pressure to go fast actually makes you go slow. And you have to do this some t- counterintuitive steering into the skid to get out. And, and it's such a common reaction
1: when there's a high-stakes deadline, right? Because the, the organizational instinct to mitigate risk involves around, well, how do we control these engineers and make sure they deliver on time? How do we make sure this happens? And inevitably, the answer to that is more process. And that's usually the wrong answer.
0: But do you know who, you know who gets patted on the back and promoted are the people who will say, yeah, that sounds good. I- I've been this person. I'm sorry. I'm the asshole. I've been the person that has said to executives, I can make your engineering team go faster. And the way I will do that is I will apply pressure, leverage, you know, carrots and sticks, and I find, you know, I'll find the inefficiencies in their work, and I will eliminate those inefficiencies, and I will find the lack of motivation and get them motivated. Like, whatever it is, we'll iron it out so that you get the speed, the speedy, speedy development that you executives so richly deserve, and you don't have to change anything about yourselves. So beware managers like me, me some number of years ago, hopefully. Those, you know, those people... <laughs> please executives, because they are telling them what they wanna hear. And if you are an executive, and people are telling you what what you wanna hear, they're selling you a short-term win probably at a long-term cost. You know, I, I keep coming to this idea of seasonality, like respect it, respect the seasonality of it, respect that sometimes your team is going to, I tell, in fact, I've told teams previously, I tell teams when I take them on generally like, you know, hey, what's your relationship to sort of hard pushes for deadlines historically here. And sometimes they'll say, oh man, it's just this never ending death march. Or sometimes they'll say, oh, I don't know when the last time I've even heard of a deadline, usually somewhere in the middle. And I'll try to set the contract with them. Like I generally might ask for one to two of those a year. Most of the time our work should feel regulated and there should be a cadence that feels just the edge of comfortable, but you have some say, and that will pause periodically. And then we push pushes periodically. And the reality is, I have not had to ask for this like really hard push. All right, everybody, let's get together and I'll push together and we're gonna really make this thing happen on this deadline. It's been a really long time since I've had to push that hard because I've, like you were saying earlier, Nick, I've been able to negotiate on scope and say, All right, we can burn the team on this, but we wouldn't have to if if we didn't deliver this part of this right now, if we did these three things and left four on the table, then everybody wins. And they're like, hmm, okay. Like it winds up being a fine negotiation. I know that's not always possible. Sometimes your customers are expecting one, two, three, and four, and you can't not deliver four. But it's been a few years since I've had to cave on that.
1: Well, the other thing that you're doing there when you're having that conversation with your teams and you're saying, you know, maybe once or twice a year, I'll need to ask for an above and beyond push is you're aligning the work rhythm of the team with the seasonality of the work. and And that's a really important step because like, You know, I mean, if you set a really important goal for December 31st, you're going to have a real hard time hitting that unless you actually deliver it on December 1st, but, but it's because you haven't aligned the work with the rhythm of the team.
0: I'll have to dig this up. I read a really good blog post by Alex Sexted like seven years ago. He's a local JavaScript developer here in Austin. And he wrote a blog post about aligning his work day with his natural cycles of energy, and I think about that a lot because that's not how I work at all. <laughs> no, get back to work. And it's like not a, you know, I'm not a sled dog. You can't actually motivate me that way, but I will sit at my computer and stare at a blank screen if if I have to, to, to and feel bad about myself. And it's funny, I wouldn't run a team like that, but it's how I run my work. So it's interesting. I love that idea. I just don't yet know how to apply that effectively because sometimes you can push through. You're glad you did. It's just like, It happens to be three o'clock and your circadian rhythms are telling you it's nap time. Well, some of us can go take a nap. Some of us have two consecutive meetings to go into now.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite things about remote work is people generally do feel more freedom to do just that. They feel the freedom to align their workday with their work rhythm because there is some flexibility. Well, your
0: your bed is at your workplace. It's amazing. (laughs) It's like I have had this happen where where I'll I've told my boss I'm like hey I'm absolutely wrecked. He's like why don't you go take a nap? And I'm like that is unfathomable to me. That you might as well have told me to get in a spaceship and go to Mars right now. That but it's totally doable.
1: There's been a couple times when I've told my boss hey I'm chewing on this really hard thing. I'm gonna go for a run and it's like two in the afternoon because that's when yeah. I think. And if I've got a really hard problem that I'm chewing on, that is putting my body in that slight amount of pain is the best way to get my foreground processes to shut up long enough to let my background processes actually solve the problem.
2: The number of problems that I've solved and conference talks that I've written on my bike is uh, pretty insane.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've actually luckily learned from somebody when I was a brand new baby developer. I was pair programming with a guy, a guy named Dave Brady, very sweet guy out of Utah. And he's like, well, let's go. And I was like, wait, 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 hold on. We're in the middle of debugging this really complicated problem. He's like, nope, this is as far as we're going to push it without going for a walk. And I was like, are you serious? This is what programming is. He's like, oh my God, this is a, this is a massive amount of what programming is. I was like also tweeting. He's like, oh yes, also tweeting. So I was like, (laughs) oh, walking and tweeting are core programming functions. Got it. Got it. Got it. But I think that it's funny to see when you look at it, some things, when you scale up change a lot, like companies are very different at large scale than they are at small scale. But some of these systems are the same at any scale. And you're, you know, people have rhythms that within a day and within a year, you have natural cycles that you run through that, you know, some days you're just cranky. Sometimes it's it's not the best time to have a one-on-one with somebody. I don't cancel one-on-ones, but also I might warn somebody, hey, listen, I'm not, you know, like you may not get everything out of me that you deserve today because I'm preoccupied. And I'll be honest if I'm preoccupied about something. It's it's okay. Like this is what it means to bring your whole self to work is that you're also sometimes kind of broken and not fully functional. And it is super currently not okay for a team to exist in that space that everybody expects teams to be operating at peak performance all the time. And if you can adjust that just a little bit, and even if, just create the space for your team to not be running at 100% capacity and peak performance all the time. that, And then, you know, to me, This is what was so impressive about this thing that I saw today. It might be a hack week or something where they work on fun side projects that could be interesting or a technical debt or documentation or something off the beaten path. But I keep thinking about how humane that is to say, to recognize, Hey, our teams are not going to be. Operating at normal capacity. They couldn't if we wanted them to because we're at a code freeze. But more than that, it actually takes the motivation away because you're not going to see whatever code you write this week, you're not going to see it put into production for three or four weeks. So, what if we just embrace that? And what if we do stuff where people can feel the benefit of what they're doing, kind of like the gardening aspect of that, and they see things getting a little bit better around them that week? I think that's tremendous. And it's a like it feels like a more enlightened or better version of management than I've seen done at, at places I've been in the past. And I like that. it's the it's the recognition of the seasonality of. Yeah,
1: it. I mean, I think that's the thing, right. Programming is creative work. It's not producing widgets in a factory. And so inherently, creative work is more governed by the the seasonality of our energy level, our team's energy level. So yeah, if you can take that humane approach to to leading a team, and embrace the seasonality of both the team and the individuals that are a part of it, you'll build a team that is significantly higher performing just because they're getting the most out of themselves when they're capable of giving it and letting themselves rest when they're not.
0: Yeah, and and that's how you get the best. If you want people's best stuff. (laughs) I mean, it's like so trite, but like if you can't handle me at my week before Christmas, you don't deserve me at my, you know, February. I don't know that that's nothing. This is nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I only think in memes. That's one of the many ways in which I'm broken
2: or perfect
0: or perfect. Yes. Meme-tastic. Well, to, to me, that feels like it is as, uh, as good a place as any to wrap up on. I really appreciate. I know that like, like we had said before the podcast, one of the things that popped up here was, gosh, we keep nibbling around the edges of re- managing remotely. And at some point we're just going to have to go right for it because we keep talking about these things that work, work in remote teams. And at some point we will probably have to just do an episode about that, but I, that would be a huge sidetrack today, but I really like this discussion and I appreciate everybody bringing their experiences to this, thinking about when it's time to push, how to like do that, how to do that humanely, how to not your set yourself up for, you know, endless cycles of sprints. I have a lot to think about. So I really appreciate that.
1: And I like that we followed our own advice here because we were all pretty low energy when we first got on the call today and we were struggling to figure out what to talk about. And our hack was to talk about the thing that was on our minds.
0: What it's like to be low energy and how to deal with seasonality and engineering work. And now we get to collapse across the finish line and go right to bed immediately. (laughs) Speaking of naps. For everybody listening, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed it. We always love hearing from you. We love getting your feedback and we love your reviews, ratings on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. If you want to get a hold of us or you have any questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can get us at Managing Up Show or you can reach out to us individually. I am Viking on Twitter.
2: I am N Means on Twitter. And I am T Swicegood most everywhere.
0: All right, everyone. Thanks again. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. See ya.